Our second reading this morning comes from 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. You'll find the reading in the Pew Bible on page 1245, with the heading, Instruction to Timothy. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training was of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labour and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Saviour of all men, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. May God bless his reading of his holy word and to his name be the glory and praise. Amen. Thank you, uh, Judy, for reading that passage of scripture for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it is living, it is dynamic, it is active, it ministers to needy hearts. We pray this morning that you would strengthen us, Lord, in your word. Equip us, Lord, to live this Christian life here on earth for your glory and for your praise. I ask, O Lord, that you give me strength to share your word with your precious people here. And, Father, we pray that together uh, we will love and serve Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, exercise. I'm sure most of us do some form of exercise. Perhaps you've joined a gym. Maybe you've taken up gym membership recently and you're really active in the gym. We all know that exercise has value. I know that some of you are part of the local walking club. Is that right? Uh, We went door knocking around this area here in Surrey Hills. And uh, we said we are from St. Stephen's, we want to give you some leaflets, and people said, oh yeah, we know so and so and so and so, because we are all part of the walking club here in Surrey Hills. So it's good to know that you're keeping up your exercises. Others I know are part of a gym. Uh, some time ago we ourselves purchased, not a full gym equipment, but we got this little machine. It's called the Abcircle Pro. Now if you've come to our home, you've probably seen this. Right, and I thought, well, I'll have a go at this, keep going on this ab circle so that I get a six pack. 
I'm still working on it. It's not come. <laughs> it's not come as yet. I can assure you that it's taken a long time. It has become a bit more difficult after the Christmas season, I must say. And so the Abcircle Pro, they say you do the exercises every day, 20 minutes, and build up your muscles. And for guys, they'll give you a six-pack. And so we trying, and we'll get there one day. Now, friends, we know that exercise is good. It's good to stay fit. It's good to have the cardiovascular system going. It's good to keep your bodies in shape. Speaking of fitness, there is now the latest in training and fitness. It is called the high-intensity interval training. That's the new latest training fitness program that's in 2014. So Zumba, spin, and Pilates are out at the moment. The new thing has come in. It is predicted to be the big hit in 2014 with experts suggesting that high-intensity interval training will be the trendiest way to get fit this year. That is that throughout the day, You'll take time out to do exercises. Perhaps if you're working, your boss might give you some time off to say, go and do some exercise so that you come back and be fit to work the remainder of the day. And most companies now are having gyms built into their, their complexes so that workers can go there, have a workout and come back into the work again. You'll be fit and healthy and you really work hard for your boss. It says that this kind of exercise involves short bursts of high-intensity bouts of exercise, followed by a short period of rest or recovery. So that's the new uh, fad that is in town. Well, what about spiritual exercise? What about being in the spiritual gym? Now, our text this morning, we have 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 7 and 8. We are Paul writing to Timothy. It's a wonderful book. It writes to a young pastor. If you followed that passage in chapter 4, it's a wonderful text for anyone aspiring to leadership. In fact, for all of God's people, but particularly for those in leadership. But Paul writing here to a young pastor says this. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Paul is speaking about training. It is training in spiritual fitness. Paul is speaking to a young minister, Timothy. Timothy had been his companion and co-laborer for many years, and yet Paul felt it was necessary for him to write to Timothy about training to be godly. He calls Timothy to join the gym of spiritual fitness and to train in godliness. Now some might say this morning, well, that's for leaders, that's for pastors, it does not apply to me. Well, friends, it does. While it is directed to Timothy specifically, we are all called to train ourselves in godliness. As Christians, we are not exempt from this challenge. And if there is one thing that I would like to encourage us with this morning, and it is this, and that is that we as a congregation this year in 2014 continue to train ourselves in godliness. My prayer for us as a church here is that we will be a spiritually healthy, vibrant congregation for Jesus Christ. 
that we continue to be a strong church for Christ. So godliness is for all of us, because if we are believers, we have been called to godliness. It is not an optional luxury for only a few Christians or for some super saints. It is for all Christians. And so I want us to think about this important subject of training in godliness, which is in our text this morning. Two things I want to share with you this morning from this passage. And Paul says to Timothy, one, be careful. Be careful of the teaching that's around you. Secondly, be involved in training. So the first point is, be careful. Watch your spiritual diet, Timothy. Now, as we know, exercise alone won't help us if there is no proper diet. You can do all the workouts, but if you keep eating and eating and eating the wrong food, right, it can be a real challenge for us, right? If you are really serious about exercises, then you will also, I'm sure, watch, we will also watch our diets, right? We will watch how much we eat, what we eat, Uh, do we have salads? Do you have Brussels sprouts, beetroot, I don't know, what kind of foods that you might put into your, 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 your diet so that you get all the, the, the vitamins that's necessary for our bodies. Fatty foods, extra sugar hits, and all those yummy chocolates may not be really helpful. And so Paul tells Timothy what to avoid as he trains in godliness. The word that is used here is an imperative word. The word means to decline, to to put aside, to, to decline with reference to things. And Timothy then is to reject, to decline, to avoid fables that are both untruthful and unhistorical. He is to stay away from false doctrine. He is to stay away from a wrong diet that will not really help him. He is to stay away from all these myths and godless chatter. And what are they? Well, Paul is dealing with the issue of false teaching. We see this clearly in chapter 4, 1 to 6. He says this, it says this, The Spirit clearly says that in later later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Some are going to abandon the faith. And then Paul says that people will follow false spirits taught by demons. Well, yesterday, Rose and myself, we went for a coffee. Love our little time together. Husband-wife bonding time. I'm sure you do that if you have to go around. Anyway, we sat for coffee and it's a bad thing to do. You buy these coffees and they give you a newspaper. You shouldn't be doing it. You're supposed to be talking to one another. Anyway, if there's a newspaper in front of me, I just... Naturally, go and flick through the paper. And on one of the pages, it read this, that more and more Australians today are seeking the world of spiritism. There are more witches here now, apparently. Where people are following the spirits and the spirit world. Do you know that? It's happening right here in our city. It's happening here in Victoria. It's a local Victorian newspaper that I read yesterday. And I said to Rose, isn't that interesting? People are seeking these spirits to give them fulfillment in their lives. There's a spiritual hunger, perhaps, that's out there in this world, that's out there in our nation, that's out there here in Melbourne. And there is this, this desire 
to find something. This desire to find fulfillment. This desire to find happiness. This desire to seek the spirit world. And so there are false spirits. And these things have been taught by people around us. Maybe we need to tap into this. And to draw people and point them to the one who can give us real meaning and purpose in life. We need to be. So such teaching, Paul says, comes from these hypocritical liars whose consciences have have been seared as with a hot iron. They don't think anymore. There is no truth in this. And then further, if you look at chapter 4, 1 to 6, you see that these false teachers, they did this. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe. So what we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, my understanding of the passage is that there is some form of asceticism that's in this passage. That it is a practice of strict self-denial as a means to attaining higher spirituality. It is a self-denial that is beyond what is necessary. If you have been to some Asian countries and you've been confronted with some forms of Buddhism or Hinduism and so forth, you would know that that's a kind of a religion that would push you to do things to attain a higher form of spirituality. And somehow this form of spirituality has crept in into this place as well. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, be careful of that. You see, there are people who are imposing things on people, on others that are not biblical. Two forms of this kind of things is mentioned here. One is marriage and food. The false teachers forbade people from getting married. Notice what they did. The false teachers said, don't marry. Well, where did this come from? Now, we know that there are some who are single and uh, maybe called to be single. For example, the Apostle Paul. But we know that marriage was instituted by God and it is good. It is good. It was instituted by God between a man and a woman in Genesis. We read about it. Clearly the false teachers were wrong. And then the second restriction was food. And then we see that these false teachers placed the restriction on certain foods. They were saying, don't eat certain foods. You can't eat meat perhaps. You can't eat this or you can't eat that. Now, you might make a conscious choice not to eat kangaroo meat or something. I've I've never eaten it. Maybe some of you have. And if you eat it and if you enjoy it, that's fine. I I just can't. That's that's just me. (laughs) Right? But that's not because of any biblical thing. It's just a personal choice. I've got to get used to it. but, but, But what was happening here is people were putting restrictions. And you can't eat this and you can't eat that. And Paul says, it is wrong. For, he says this, for God created things to be received with thanksgiving. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. And so we say grace before our meals. Because we want to give thanks to God for the food that is provided for us. And we ask God to bless that food to our weak and frail bodies, don't we? For every meal that he provides. We say, Lord, thank you for this, for this food. 
And so Paul says that we should receive with thanksgiving the food that God gives. And now Paul says to Timothy that he needs to put these things behind him and train in godliness. He should have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. This is false teaching. They are godless myths. They are profane. One writer, a commentator, says this. He describes these these things, these godless myths and old wives' tales as silly superstitions which old women try to palm off to their neighbors or on their grandchildren. And Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with them. What should Timothy's main diet be so that he will be nourished? Look at what we have in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus Nourished on the truths of the faith and of good teaching that you have followed. Be nourished on the truths of the faith. Be nourished on the word of God. So Timothy, here is your diet. Dine on good teaching. Dine on good meat. Dine on good substance. Dine on spiritual nourishment that will build your spiritual muscles, that will build you spiritually to be strong in Christ. A good diet makes a strong minister, he says to Timothy, a good diet makes a strong Christian. And so keep on training. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Timothy is to be both a scholar and a saint. Train yourself. You see, the Greek word that is used here for the word train is a form of the word called gymnazo, which from which we get the word gymnastics, or we get the word gymnasium. Right? When you join a gym, it's coming from this word in the Bible here, from, from the Greek word gymnazo, which means gymnasium. And Paul is saying, join the spiritual gym. What a wonderful way of saying it, isn't it? Paul is using an athletic metaphor. He, he, he refers to physical training of athletes. A person training in a gym wants to be fit. He or she is disciplined and dedicated to training. In the gym, you want to pump up those muscles and have a solid workout so that when you go into the gym, you're all clean. When you come out, you're all sweaty. Right. That's what it is. And when you're finished working out in the gym, you can reward yourself with some lint of Ferrara Rocher chocolates. No, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Maybe you do it. So gymnasts and other athletes have to train for months and years to focus on their skills. And Paul says, train yourself to be godly. A couple of weeks ago, uh, David and David Russell and Callum and Sean Master, we went to uh, the, the golf uh, training range at Keysborough. That's, that's hard work there. And uh, so we had the golf sticks and I tried my hand as well. You know, there are much better expert people playing there. Just to get that ball over the 150 meter mark, that was a challenge. And you have to keep training, isn't it? If you're a golfer, you need to know your swing. You need to know how you step after you hit, move that stick. If you've got the wrong angle, the ball's going somewhere else and you're lost and it becomes the most frustrating thing. 
I remember when I was training for cricket, I put a leather ball, a leather ball in a sock, and I hung that ball on a beam in our house outside, and I took my bat and I kept hitting it all the time. That was what my father said, keep doing this so that I'm training my eye on the ball. Each time, keep going. So that, you see, you keep training, you keep equipping yourself. Paul says, train yourself to be godly. You see, physical training is important. For physical training, Paul says, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. You see, we must take care of our bodies. Our bodies belong to God. We need to be responsible in taking good care of them. Exercise if possible. Eat well, live well, live healthy. However, while focusing on taking care of our bodies, by doing physical exercise, we need to realize that this training, while it is of some value, it is only limited. In time, our bodies they get old. In times, we can't do the same things we did ten years ago. Or maybe, you know, suddenly you feel the aches and the pains. You feel, well, I can't kind of bend the way I did before. Our bodies get weaker. Our muscles may not be strong anymore. But all the physical training without godliness is limited because godliness has value for all things. And what does this mean to be godly? Godliness, what is it? What, what does this word godliness mean? What are the marks of a godly person? How does a person become godly? What comes up in your minds when you think, and when we think about this word godly or godliness? What actually comes up in your mind? <laughs> well, is it somebody who is very pious? <laughs> is it someone who carries his, his or her Bible all the time? Walks around? Uh, what kind of comes up in our minds when we think of the word godly or godliness? Okay. Alright, there you go. That's an explanation there. But, 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 look, look at, let, let, let's define this. You see, perhaps someone might say it's to be pious. Maybe someone might say it's someone who carries his or her Bible or. Or perhaps someone who portrays himself or herself to be a super spiritual saint that all the others are, are not. You see, the, the, the word for godliness means, in the original text, it means reverence, it means piety, it means true spiritual virtue. Now, there are many def definitions which I have read this past week about godliness, but I like the one that Jerry Bridges defines godliness. He, he defines it this way, it's simple, it's, it's clear, I found it very helpful. Uh, Jerry Bridges, in his book, uh, The Practice of Godliness, I, I'm reading this book at the moment, I uh, found it very helpful with the sermon as well. So, He defines godliness in his book uh, this way. It is devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to him. It is devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to him. I think it is clear, it is simple, it is, it is challenging as well. Right in further, Bridges explains this. Devotion to God, then, is the mainspring of godly character. And this devotion is the only motivation for Christian behavior that is pleasing to God. This motivation is what separates the godly person from the moral person or the benevolent person or the zealous person. 
It is devotion to God and a life that is pleasing to Him. Therefore, godliness is more than Christian character. It is Christian character that springs from a devotion to God, a love for God. You see, we can be devoted to many things in life, right? You can be devoted to your business, to your studies, uh, to your work, uh, to, to whatever. But what about our devotion to God? If we are not devoted to Him, I have missed the point. <laughs> you have missed the point. I can be devoted as a minister, great. But if I'm not devoted to God, <laughs> can you see? I've lost the point. Because when we are devoted to Him, our lives will continue to be transformed. Our thinking will be challenged. Our characters will be changed. Our outlook in life will change. Our mental and emotional life will be challenged. Our service to Him will be challenged. Our stewardship to God. Because when we are devoted to God, we avoid legalism when it comes to godliness. Let me say this. We avoid legalism. That is, as a godly person, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go here, you can't go there. We are not in the business of giving legislating or legislating what you can do and can't do. Right? But when you are devoted to God, when we are devoted to Him, and you want to please Him, then you avoid legalism. Do you see the point? When we are devoted to God, we will walk with Him in faith. Let me give you one example out of the many in the Bible. There's this one in Genesis chapter 5. And his name was Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. And then we see this. Enoch walked faithfully with God. And then he was no more because God took him away. You see, Enoch walked with God. Enoch pleased God. Enoch was devoted to God. See, what about us this morning, friends? It is clear that Enoch was devoted to God. You see, devotion to God then is the mainspring of godly character. Because when we are devoted to him, we would want to live godly lives to please our God. And Paul calls us to train ourselves to be godly. What does this mean, friends? It means being disciplined in our Christian growth. It means, friends, that we are making time to understand God's word. It means that we are praying that God will increase our love for him. It means, friends, you have a passion and a love for the word of God. It means, friends, that you have a desire to say, Lord, this is the life that you have given me. This is the one life. The one life I have to live on earth. And I want to live this life devoted to you and pleasing to you. Because there in that lies my true joy and happiness and satisfaction and guarantee that God is with me 24-7. You see, when we are all growing in godliness by feeding and training ourselves on God's word, it becomes a matter of diet and discipline. 
And so Paul says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Yes, physical training is of value, but godliness has value for all things. Why? Because it has value for now, in the year and now, and also for the future. You see, when you train your life in godliness, it will impact you big time. Your life will be a happy life. Now, when I say happy, it doesn't mean everything is going to go all your way. Perhaps that word happy is a wrong word. Maybe a blessed life. It means an inner peace. It's not the happiness that the world gives you. It's an inner happiness. You know what I'm speaking of? A happiness that, that, that comes from within. A happiness that overflows. A happiness that puts a smile on your face. A happiness that gives you a joy in your heart. A happiness that comes, that turns away all the depressive thoughts about yourself and focuses on this God. You see, you can be living in the past and not enjoying the present. Are you like that? You see, when you train yourself in godliness, it is a life that is content, a life that is fulfilled. It will be a life that is meaningful with purpose and direction. You see, when God encounters your life, He changes you through faith in Christ alone. He changes you from the inside out. Life will be different. And notice, friends, that godliness is good for what? The scriptures tells us, the Bible tells us, it is good for, it is good, look at your text. It says it is good for anyone. Have a go. If you point these things out, look at the godliness there. For physical training is of some value, verse 8, but godliness has value for this one word there. <laughs> Little word. <laughs> All. But I, I looked at the original text here in preparing this talk. It's, it's, it's everything. It's so easy to, to kind of forget that all, isn't it? <laughs> right? It is good for all things. Not just for some things. It is good for all things. It is good for your work. It, is, it will make us better employees and better employers. It is good for relationships. It is good for your marriage. It is good for your ministry. It is good for your family. It is good for society. It is good for Australia. It is good for the world. It is good for all things. For everything. It is better in every way. No wonder Paul says that godliness must be taken seriously in chapter 4 and verse 9. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. You see, godliness transforms a people and there are significant implications all around. Let me give you one example of this with the Welsh revival. I was reading about the Welsh revival this past week. Right? This, the largest Christian revival uh, in Wales. And of the Welsh revival, the remarkable effects it had on society, the revival uh, historian Edwin Orr says this. I don't, I don't think you can read all of that there, but anyway, let me read it. Drunkenness was immediately cut in half and many taverns went bankrupt. Crime was so diminished that judges were presented with white gloves, signifying that there were, there were no cases of murder, assault, rape, or robbery, or the like to consider. The police became unemployed in many districts. Stoppages occurred in the coal mines, not due to the unpleasantness between management and workers. 
but because so many foul-mouthed miners became converted and stopped using foul language, that the horses which awed the coal trucks in the mines could no longer understand what was being said to them. <laughs> they couldn't understand the horses. God converted the people and the horses couldn't understand because these men spoke differently. Oh, for a revival like that in Australia, isn't it? See, godliness is good for this life. It is good for everything in this life. But it is also good for eternity. It is also good for the life to come. It has value for eternity. The Apostle Paul said this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We cannot make ourselves godly. Godliness begins by knowing Jesus as our Savior. If you try to make yourself godly without Christ, it becomes work. It begins by giving your life to Christ and then training in godliness in response to his grace and love to you. It is devotion to him, wanting to please him. You see, godliness characterizes all true Christians. The church cannot be spiritually healthy unless all of us who make up his church here at St. Stephen's are committed, or if you are not a member of this church, are committed to this point, pursuit of godliness. May I ask you a question? Are you? How is your workout in the spiritual gym going? I like us to have that as our conversation. When you have coffee and all that on Sunday mornings or evenings, just ask the person, how is your spiritual gym exercise going? Or come and ask me, how are you going in the gym, Chris? In the spiritual gym, how, what are you reading? What, what Bible book are you reading? How is your prayer life going? I have one or two people who ask me, but a congregation of such a big size, not, not many, they assume, they assume I suppose, or you assume. So let's make it our conversation this year to ask people, how are you going in spiritual gym? It's about discipline and diet. By training ourselves in God's word, by having a strong prayer life, by declaring our love for him, by preaching the gospel to ourselves regularly. Let me say this, preach the gospel to yourself regularly. If you can every day. Because when you preach the gospel to yourself, you see your sin, you see God's grace, it humbles you. (laughs) And it helps you to love others. By living a godly life, a life to glorify Him by being devoted to Him. So friends, as we close, this is the spiritual gym that we must be engaged with regularly. Without Christ, we can't become godly. But if you're a Christian, then keep going in the spiritual gym. For it has value for this life. And for eternity. Abundant life here on earth. And eternal life with Jesus. So, let's keep going in the spiritual gym. Alright? Let's keep going in that gym. Let's pray.